You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. Join us as we focus the spotlight back on the theater maker to uncover their process. We speak with folks in the industry that often aren't heard from. Such as stage managers, producers, crew members, marketing professionals. And everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is made possible by PWC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Olivia Valley. I am a singer, actor, dancer in that order. Uh, well, ish. But <laughs> um, I am a Jersey girl through and through. I've sung all my entire life. I'm not working currently. Uh, you know, we kind of can't because of COVID-19. Um, fun employment is very real. Ish. Before that, I was uh, playing my own grandma in Jersey Boys off Broadway. So that was fun. You're a Montclair alum. Yeah. Just like Mary and I. Mary was in the, <laughs> the master's, master's program. program. So cool. That's so cool. <laughs> and we've had a couple MSU alums on here. So it's always fun to have another Red Hawk. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. And you just started your own podcast. Yes. So you're very familiar with this medium now. Oh, yeah. It's Have you ever crazy. been on another podcast? No, this is my first one. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always curious to to hear another podcaster's journey. How How was it getting started? Especially if you didn't if you weren't a guest on one before, like, did you have any preconceived notions on what it would be like to host a podcast? I follow one, um, Joe Sanagato. I don't know if you, The Basement Yard. He's like mm -hmm. a comedian. I think he's really funny. And I just thought, 
because how they run it um, was very silly and obviously comedic. So I was like, okay, like it's kind of just two guys horsing around doing whatever and like it's all fine. And then creating a podcast, um, I was talking to Fiona and her and I, you know, as COVID-19 started and social isolation started, we were like, okay, well, we really wanted to do a podcast, but we never knew what kind it would be. And we decided that we wanted to focus on um, people in the industry. So not just actors, but dancers, choreographers, um, writers, photographers, uh, music directors, and how they feel inspired and valid when they're not working and without the um, confirmation of like, you're doing something good because you have the job. And so we try to highlight ways that people are feeling good and productive and inspired um, during this time of COVID-19. And so as that was happening, I realized that creating a podcast is a very personal thing and everybody has their own style. And so it really changed my perspective about creating a podcast and that it's not just people horsing around on something. It's really something that is used to lift people up and feel good and find different mediums to connect to others. There's so much that goes into it and so much planning. And it's not just like, well, it's a Sunday. I feel like recording. It's like, all right, we have to plan. We have to. So you didn't plan to start a podcast before the shutdown? We talked about it for sure. This was and we were like, I wonder what it would be about. Oh, would th- wouldn't that be so much fun? But then we really got serious about it when the shutdown happened um, because it was, I mean, and I think it still is for a lot of us a really dark time um, and a very uncertain time. And we said, how can we help others? Yeah. Well, I've listened to a couple of your episodes already, and I think it's fantastic. Could you tell all of our listeners what the name of your podcast is if they want to check it out? Um, It's What's Your Backup Plan? And on Instagram, it's Backup Plan Podcast. So give us a follow, subscribe, like, review, all the things you do when you listen to a podcast. (laughs) So what did you do after college and What was showcase like for you? What was that process like? I did a senior showcase. I took part of it and I decided, because when you do a senior showcase at Montclair State, you have the option to not do a show this your last semester. And I just decided to focus on myself and focus on my showcase and my material because this is my future and I need to hunker down. And so I opted out of doing any of the shows and I did showcase. I had a ton of appointments. I had like 14 appointments. It was, it was wild. And like, people are like, wow, that's so cool. And I'm like, no, it was a waste of time and money. Um, <laughs> Wait, so I'm, not, I, I'm not actually from the actor world. So when you say you had appointments, was it, who were, who were you meeting with? I was meeting with um, 14 talent agencies. Oh, talent agencies. Got it. Okay. And so, this was after the showcase? Yes. Or was this, oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, so we had a private showcase where four top boutique agencies come and see us and they give us feedback about what we could work on, what our type is. And for me, I kind of lucked out and picked all the good material that was right for me. And that I think came with the uh, freedom of not having to do a show because I really thought about 
who I could be, what my type is. And I decided in that time that I'll create my own type and that I don't really fit into a lot of type norms and that that's okay. And I have to trust that I'm just going to bring myself into this showcase and do what I can do best and go from there. And it worked and they really saw that and they resonated with that. And then afterwards you have an open showcase. So that's casting directors, uh, directors in general, um, and then a ton of agencies. And so then you get your folder back and you see all the different agencies who want to sign with you or who are interested in having an appointment with you. And so I had 14, which was a lot. And you find out very quickly what you want in an agency. And that's why I think it was a waste of time and money because a lot of these agencies, um, a lot of people think, oh, well, I have to put on my best behavior for them. Well, I thought it was the opposite. Of course, I'm going to put on my best behavior and do what I need to do, but are you? I'm also auditioning you in a sense, and I want to see if we're going to be a good fit. And I found out very quickly that a lot of these agencies were not the most professional. I had an agency stop my appointment and my interview to go and talk to a, um, a colleague and a client of theirs for 30 minutes. And I was- but I it really was just shows really, how invested they're going to be in you specifically. I mean, that that's just what it tells me. Exactly. And that's what I thought. And I just said, wow, this is- this is, I wasted my time today and I walked out really annoyed and I walked out really annoyed from not a lot of them, but some of them and learned a lot from the rest. And then I decided on the agency I have now who I really love and I signed with them. And I, after that was a wedding band singer <laughs> and had two solo concerts at 54 below and sold them out. Which was crazy because I also had no resume, no nothing. <laughs> like I was just this girl who was like, can I do a show at 54 Below? 54 Below? And they were like, yeah, sure. Come on in. And they've seen me do a bunch of other concerts that I took a part of there. But they were like, we really like what you do. And we think that you could really hold your own. And so I did. And then when I was rehearsing for my second concert at 54 Below, I was also in final callbacks for Wicked on tour um, for the Alphabet Understudy. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Like just first like big audition. And at that point, I was not feeling great about myself because everybody else was working right off the bat. And there is- Were they working in New York? Was it kind of like a mix of out of town tour New York? Nobody was working in New York. One of our colleagues uh, booked a major national tour um, and everybody else was working these wonderful, gorgeous regional theaters, contract to contract. And I just watched everybody do that. And I said, wow, I signed with a big agency um, and here I am not working. And I felt pretty silly. And there is this pressure of like, okay, well, you signed with your agent and now like you're right out of school and what are you going to do? What are you going to book? And for me and the kind of type I am, I'm not going to be your cute and fun ingenue. And I'm also not like the big dancer girl. I'm an actor singer. So I'm actually still at 26 growing into my type. 
So at that point, I was in finals and it was crazy. It was, I was called back six times and then I had my final call back the day of my sound check of my second concert. And I did my final callback and it was a dance call and I ran to 54 below. And as I'm running to 54 below, I got the call that I got the job. (laughs) It was so cool. It was so cool. And you somebody who loved Wicked growing up? Yeah. 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 So it makes it even more special. It really does. And it's one of those shows for like people in our age group. I think it's also for every age group because there is a point in time where everybody feels left out. Everybody feels like the odd person out and wants to be heard and wants to feel special and loved. And everybody is bullied in some way or another, popular in school or not, somebody is bullied. And so I wasn't a big musical theater girl, actually. I grew up listening to different pop singers and emulating what they sounded like and playing with my range and playing with tone and control. And then it wasn't until high school, my junior year, where I was like, I guess I'll look at theater. And I always loved Wicked. And when I saw it, I cried from the minute the music started to the minute bows stopped. So it was a dream come true. And then I I did that for three years and I understudied Elphaba and it was my dream show and my dream part. And I, it was my first job. And I'm really lucky to have done it and hopefully go back to it one day. So that's the amazing thing is like Wicked is this long running machine at this point, right? Yeah. So um, when you jumped into it, what was that process like being replaced, like replacing on a this long running national tour? I don't know. I guess it's the second national? Second national. And so, you know, they've been running for years at this point. So what was that like putting you in? How much time did you have? And what was your first stop on the tour? Oh, man. Okay. Well, they send you, you sign your contract and they mail you your script and your music. And when I was in school, we were taught, if you get the music and the script ahead of time, come in memorized. And so I had one month to get ready and pack my entire life up and leave my home and everything I know onto this unknown journey. And so I memorized all my lines in the ensemble. I memorized all the alphabet parts. And I also knew all the alphabet parts musically, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, just double checking. And then I memorized all. <laughs> just making sure they haven't changed anything since the recording. You know, 14 years at that time later, let's just see, you know, anything can happen. And so I went and memorized with my ensemble music as well, because they send you your selected vocal part individually so that you can memorize it and get the timing down and, you know, practice along while you pack two suitcases and say, okay, this is fine, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so my first stop was Dallas, Texas. And I didn't really realize what I was getting into because I've never known what that theater world was like. I've always known like, oh, original Broadway casts, you work on that for a while and then here we are. But to replace somebody in a show, um, you feel like you have something to prove. And I really felt like I had something to prove because it's my first job. I was 22 at the time. I didn't know anybody. And the person I was replacing was loved, like so loved. And I was like, man, 
I have big shoes to fill. And the thing is, everybody feels that. I mean, when I was leaving and the girl who got hired to replace me came in, she literally said, I have big shoes to fill. And I think that's this collective feeling because you spend so much time with people that you become family so quickly that, you know, it sucks when anybody leaves. But going back to your question, I had one month to prepare my entire ensemble track um, and learn some of the alphabet stuff. So you have, uh, so I learned my ensemble track in four days because I have a really weird brain and I'm a quick learner. And I also came in prepared. So that also really helped. And then I would kind of run my ensemble stuff. And then we picked right up into Alphaba and they were like, all right, let's get going. Let's do it. And so you so, had a month of rehearsals too, you're saying? Yeah. yeah in just, New York or you, in New York, right? In Dallas, Texas. So they flew oh, me out. Oh, you rehearsed in on the road. Yeah. So I rehearsed on the road. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear on that. Um, so they fly me out to Dallas, Texas, and I also have no money in the bank. And so they're like, that's going to be a $2,000 deposit. And I was like, cool. I don't have money. <laughs> so, and you, I called and I called our company manager and they were like, she's part of the tour. She'll pay you when she's done with this sit down. And they were like, that's fine. And it was only two weeks. So the sit down was only two weeks, but I had a month to rehearse. So they fly me out and there's a selected rehearsal space either in the theater or off site. And luckily I was in the theater. So I would every single day rehearse and then every single night watch the show in the wings just to double check exactly where I'm going and also learn Alphaba's blocking at the same time so that I could go in and be like, okay, this is the general area of where I need to go. This is what I need to do at this point and that point. Do you think memorizing everything beforehand really helped you and prepared you for then the, what, like the month of rehearsals you had? It's essential. Yes. Essential. Wow. Absolutely. Um, Cause there's no time to be like, I don't know my line. I don't know this part. They keep going cause time is money and you're getting paid to rehearse. And these people are getting paid overtime because they're in the show. So there's only a certain amount of hours you can work until it counts as overtime. And overtime is very expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and were you the only newcomer to the cast at that time? Or were they rehearsing like a few people together? I actually was rehearsing with two more people. And one of them was the Glinda understudy. And so that was really great because we got to rehearse together. They, uh, The two girls went into the show earlier than I did. They went in about like three weeks earlier. And I had two weeks left to go. So after two weeks in Dallas, my second city was New Orleans. And oh. that was cool. It was also my birthday in that city, which is intimidating. <laughs> now, do you get to... Yeah, right? You don't want yeah. to party too hard. Exactly. Now, do you get to enjoy these cities, especially early on in the process? Were you able to really enjoy or was it really pressure filled? It was both. I really got to enjoy the cities because there was downtime and we had cars in some cities. So if the hotel is a certain amount of distance away from the theater in our contracts, we get cars, which is great, which is like on the company. So the company rents cars out for us and there's groups of four in every car because, you know, a lot of like 
38 rental cars is really good in theory, but very expensive. (laughs) So we would drive around and explore the city of Dallas because we had a car there. But in New Orleans, we had a hotel that was a block away from the theater and then six blocks away from Bourbon Street. (laughs) which in itself i like had heard stories of new orleans and now i still haven't been myself (laughs) we were there for a month (laughs) and honestly a month is way too long i didn't see a green food for days oh no (laughs) but like the food is incredible and it was like the most magical city because there's magic there i believe that there is like this like magic in the air and you fall in love with the music and the culture and the people but you know you're trying to be social and get to know everybody and find your group of friends while also for me like i'm understudying one of the hardest written roles on broadway And I also have to, I still had this sense of proving myself, which I feel was a little detrimental in a way because it would really be stressful. But I'm thankful for that knowledge now because I know what I can do and I know who I am now. And that comes with age and experience. And now when I walk into new companies, I don't feel that need to prove anything because I know that my work ethic and who I am will show. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I was going to ask if that was because it was your first show out, out the gate and that it's also such a big show that has such history and, you know, I can't even imagine, but. How long did it take you for your um, for your debut as Alphaba? It took me one full year. A full year? Wow. Yeah. That's wow. a long time to wait. Yeah. It's just a lot of practice. <laughs> literally, I would rehearse. Literally. Literally. It it was, it was honestly though, it sucked because I was rehearsing all of the time and I was really working hard and it took me, my alphabet put in took three months because we had a lot of turnover and they couldn't get me to have my put in at the same time. So we finally, my put in was in Houston, Texas with the girl that came in at the same time as me for her Glinda put in. So we did the show together, which was really cool. And after that, you're like, okay, I've done my put-in. And you keep rehearsing. Get me out there. Get me out there. You're just like so ready. And I would rehearse all the time. Like, because after that, after you're put in, you have understudy rehearsals just to, you know, make sure you know what you're doing. Now on tour, is there still a standby? Because I know in the Broadway company, they have a standby and then one of the ensemble members also covers the role. Yes. So we still had an, we still had an Alphabet standby, but we did not have, we do not have a um, Glinda standby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it's a little easier, I think on... I think it's a little more expensive, one, because, you know, it's the road. Got to save money somehow. It's a little expensive to have two standbys. And also, it's easier to pull the Glinda understudy from the ensemble and, like, put the wig on and put her out there. But with the Elphaba understudy, it's harder because she has to get out of wig, get out of costume, get out of her show makeup, and then put on the Elphaba show makeup. And so it's easier for the standby to go on to go on mid show and get green in seven minutes and then run on. But it was hard because there is an alphabet standby. And with that comes, you know, all right, well, like when is when is my shot going to happen? Because the alphabet standby, it's her job to stand by. So she only knows alphabet and sits backstage when she's not on. 
So she's ready at all times. And there's pressure to be a standby as well. Like if you get sick or if you get injured, it's like my one job I can't do right now. <laughs> um, so I waited a full year and it happened because our standby um, had a bridal shower to go to or a bachelorette party to go to. So I knew two months in advance because I was living with her too. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. So she, so our alphabet at the time was like, hey. I don't do more than a certain amount of shows a week. Um, and, you know, I'm just letting you know that there is a possibility that I am going to take a day because it's a hard role. They're really in real, in reality, there should be an alphabet alternate because it's such a hard role. And to expect somebody to do that eight times a week is madness. And while That's like traveling saying, too. Like, exactly. With like all of the weather and stuff. So she just said like, hey – you know, I just want to let you know that that's a possibility. I can't promise anything because it's still my job. And that's fair because she could also get in trouble for that. But everything kind of happened for a reason. And uh, we had a nine show week that week. And I made my Alphaba debut and I did it twice in one weekend. Oh. Yeah. So we did that. And I did that at the Boston Oprah. Sorry. I did <laughs> uh, the the Boston Opera's house. Um, I did that at I made my alphabet debut at the Boston Opera House, and I had over thirty people come and see me debut, and it was just so special. And in reality, I wouldn't trade waiting a year for the world because I was so ready. I walked on and I was like, I know everything I'm doing. I'm gonna nail all of these quick changes. Like I'm just. I'm ready. And I was really calm backstage and I was calm in the dressing room because it just felt so right to do it. And that's how I knew that this was the right time. That's awesome. Plus, you were able to kind of, I mean, you said that when you started, you were 22 and then you were probably 23 or 24 even by that point. So you were kind of growing into your own as an adult as well, which is always fun in and of itself, but to also grow into Elphaba, I'm sure it was really cool. I had a question about the understudy part and watching the like the, the the main actress. I'm not sure who was the on tour at the time. Who was playing Alphaba? I actually had four Alphabas. Oh wow! I mean, I guess yes. over several years. Yeah, the one I really watched was Emily Cook when I first joined, and then after that was Ms. Jessica Vosk. Um, and then after that was Mary Kate Morrissey, and then Jackie Burns was my last Alphaba, which is cool because she coached me on my material for my audition. Oh my gosh! So it was so full circle. It was so cool. It was so cool. Uh, I love her. Was there any? I guess how were you while, especially while learning the role and still trying to get into your own within that iconic role? How was it watching? the those other women portray that role did it have any effect on the choices you made or did not make as a result especially if you had four because they say a lot of times with understudies that you want to keep the essence of whoever's currently there but you had four that could have influenced you yeah and it, they all did and i always say i've learned the most through them because every actress is so different in the role and i learned that what the real essence of Alphaba is, is you and what you bring to it with direction and with, you know, guidance. But 
I learned that I needed to trust myself and the choices that Olivia would make because I so heavily resonate with Alphaba and feeling like, you know, like I don't fit in, feeling like, you know, misunderstood. And so I learned something different through all four of them. But the main thing I learned was how to trust myself and my judgment and know that I am enough when I go into this role and that I just got to have so much fun. And honestly, that's even our director, our um, production stage manager, when the more it became more natural for me and more resonant to me, that's when everything started to click. So that's, you know, that might not be the best answer, but what after, when you watch four different women tell the story so differently, I mean, like, it is polar opposite for every single one of them. You really just go, okay, what's the one common thing? And it's just them and their trust and their belief in themselves. Now, I really would love to jump into Jersey Boys. Unless, Brian, you had yeah. anything else about Wicked you really wanted to ask. Oh, I just wanted to ask, like, you know, you were on the road for three years, right? Mm-hmm. Almost. So, like, what are the challenges? You know, some people would look at that and be like, great, you were employed for three years. What a gift. What a blessing. But can you just talk about the challenges that maybe you face doing that show eight times a week or nine times a week in Boston? Um, sometimes we – our holiday schedule, we did 19 shows in a row, basically, So that was really hard. Holidays, the holiday schedule was hard because you're doing almost basically 23 shows in a row without many, like without really a Monday break. Um, And then holidays away from home were very hard. And I think for me, because I was so young, what was really difficult was finding my voice and finding myself through a group of people who I still, because the cast was always changing, I still didn't really know. Um, and also understudying was a challenge because sometimes, you know, you go on and you, you're really proud of yourself and they're like, oh, well, where's, where's so-and-so and, oh man, like you were so good. I would never expect you to be an understudy. And if I'm going to be very honest, some wicked super fans, and it's a very small percentage, but, um, some of them borderlined on an obsession with certain actors and actresses. And that's always a big issue because I like stage dooring is more than fine, but we had people switch hotels knowing where we were um, to be close to us and people who would really harass us online. And so that is kind of the uglier side to it, but a very, like I said, a very small percentage, but, it's really hard. I, I've watched it. It. I would see some things about me and about other cast members. Like I would hurt for them and I would watch how it would hurt them. I kind of built a thick skin about it, but at first it would really hurt. Um, and then I said, you know what? You can't do what I do and I can't do what you do, whatever your job field is. And I'm going to do what feels right to me. And if I'm making my bosses happy and if I'm happy, then I don't care what you have to think. Yeah. And another part of being on tour, like those compilation videos, like there's a really dark side to the internet. And some of these super fans, I don't even consider fans when they 
pit Elphabas and Glindas against each other and tear other Glindas down and tear other Elphabas down. You can have your it's favorites. It's against the point of the, the message of the show. <laughs> yes, and theater in general, right. you know? Like yeah. we're, we're a community. And so I understand having your favorites. Have your favorites. Stan whoever you want to stand, but don't do it at the expense of someone else's feelings and someone else's talent capabilities. Like they got the role for a reason. Let's, let's calm down here. It just yeah. might not be your cup of tea. And the hardest part I think was the weariness of traveling for three years straight. Cause we did it 52 weeks of the year and we didn't really have breaks. And it was hard because you know, everybody says, what's it like to live the dream? And it's like, well, my dream changed and I want to go home. I want to have a home. You know, so that's also hard too. that kind of stigma about like, well, you're doing your dream show and your dream everything. So clearly you're fine. And it's like, no, I can still miss home. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I agree with that. I know when I left New York after graduating to go out of town for three years, I was like, wow, like, my dream was to actually leave to find myself. And now I found myself and let's go back to New York now. Like I'm ready. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, come on, can we please get this going? Yeah. Um, so I totally so, yeah, get that. I actually wanted to jump before we go to Jersey boys to talk oh, okay. about, yeah, to talk about uh, your manager. Cause I know you said that you found very quickly the things that were important to you. And I wanted to know if you could speak a little bit more about that to talk about like, especially as you grew into Wicked and then beyond Wicked, if things continue to change and what was important to you then at 22 is still important to you now at 26. For me, when I first started with my agency, I'm with Talent House. Um, it's the same agency as Rob McClure and a bunch of other people. But Another MSU alum? Another MSU alum. We have some other MSU alum in that um, – in that agency as well. Esteban Carmona is another one. And for me, when I first started out, I was like, I want someone who's going to believe in me. And I want someone who's going to push me and get me every job and get me every audition and all of that. And then I started to get all the auditions and some of them weren't right for me. And I felt like, wow, I really didn't showcase myself the way I could because I was going in for Maria in West Side Story as a white mezzo soprano. Like, not like, what? What? Um, <laughs> there were some, and that agent left. Um, so I stuck around with the other remaining agents. And as I got into Wicked, I loved their support and I loved how they checked in on me. I think that's really important. That's really cool. It is, you know, because it, it's not just like you're somebody collecting a paycheck for them. Right. And they're like, you know, how is it going? How are you doing? Um, do you have any questions for us? When I would re-sign my contracts or my writers, um, they would ask me if there's anything I want to add. They wouldn't just like be like, okay, here you go. They would like help me negotiate, which was really fantastic. Um, and it started to change when I left Wicked because at that point, I didn't want every audition possible. I wanted the right auditions. And what made me stick with my agency was, you know, through my time with Wicked, they always, like when I took vacation or when I was home, they'd want to see me. They'd want to check in physically with me and just like sit down and talk, which I really think is also very important. And when I left, we 
had a meeting about where I want to go and going forward and what are some things I'd like to accomplish. And I think that that's also very important as well because it's more of a collaborative effort rather than here's 800 auditions this week. You might not be right for all 800 of them, but you got the audition. <laughs> so yeah, more strategic, more strategic and things that were more right for me. And so I could go into every single room and go, yeah, I knocked that out of the park. And when I left Wicked, I booked a show. It was all shook up at some regional theater as Natalie. and. My agency still was like, hey, you have an audition for Jersey Boys. You have an audition for this. You have an audition for that. Um, keep going in and see what sticks and see what, see what lands. And now I'm at a point with my agency where I can talk to them for like an hour and you know feel great and feel good and feel accomplished. And I can say no to auditions where I might not feel like I want to explore because of different reasons or that I may not feel right for. And they're not mad at me and they're not holding it against me. They're very understanding and they're like, okay, great. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. And so I think the collaborative effort is extremely important for an agency. To segue into Jersey Boys, I'm really yes. interested to, to hear um, your audition story because I do remember you saying you know, that you auditioned, I think back in college you said? Mm-hmm. Basically, I was auditioning for Jersey Boys as Fran- for Francine on Broadway since I was a sophomore in college. And they were so kind and so supportive, but I kept hearing, you're too young, or it's not the right look. Not, you know, but I kept like, but you're so talented and you're so good. And so they kept auditioning me. And I had like, I auditioned for Jersey Boys six times. <laughs> and uh, four Over of how them- many years? How many years was that? sophomore, junior, senior, eh. over the course of like five years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like crazy <laughs> stuff. Right. Crazy stuff. And so Broadway closed, the uh, Jersey Boys on Broadway closed. And I was like, all right, guess it's never meant to happen. And I left for the road and I got a call from my agent. And they were like, Jersey Boys would love to audition you for off-Broadway as Francine. And I was like, still? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they were like, also, she's the dance captain. And I said, that's not happening. No way. <laughs> and so I auditioned and it never really felt right for Francine. Um, it was just at that point, I was super young. She's super young in the show. She's 16 in the show. And, you know, when you're young, it's easy to play a brat. And Francine is not a brat, but, you know, that's kind of the general notion in casting. Like, oh, they're young. They can play those less mature emotions. And so that didn't happen. And I left. I left Wicked and I ran into Mary Sugarman on the street. And I know her from Jersey Boys. Like, I know all of them. They're great. And she was like, oh, my God, it's so good to see you. Now, I also just got the call that I booked a regional theater gig. And so she was like, what are you up to? And I was like, you know, just auditioning. And I was like, I shouldn't say that I booked this yet. And I don't know why, but there was that little voice being like, don't do that. Just don't do that. And I was like, okay. And part of it was like, 
I'll believe it when I see it in writing, but also like, I don't know, there was just that voice. And so I just said, you know, I'm just auditioning and, you know, I was just in finals, like for something, like we'll see, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, are you here for good? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, interesting. All right. I'll see you later. And I was like, okay, bye. And I was like, all right, awesome. So a couple days later, I get a call. Hey, they're looking for a Mary um, for Off-Broadway. Do you want to go in? And I was like, yeah. My grandma? Yeah. And I grew up with my grandma. So it was a really – it was a hard process auditioning-wise because I – first of all, everybody who – every woman who auditions for Jersey Boys like goes in with like this beautiful dress on and like heels and all that. And I was like, you know what? Bring Jersey. I was like, I'm bringing Jersey. Jersey. I'm bringing me. I went in in a oxblood red leather jacket (laughs) with like ripped boyfriend jeans and matching red Doc Martens with a black bodysuit. And they were like, this outfit is perfect. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so that worked, I guess. And I went in. And I sang the harmony line because they give you the harmony line and you sing a song of your choice and then you sing the lead line to Boyfriend's Back. And we did that a couple of times. And then the other girls I was auditioning with, we all did part harmonies. And for me, I didn't know we were doing that. So I just learned the one I had to learn. But like the huge advantage was one, growing up with that music and two, I'm a very good sight reader from school. So I just sight read it and like somehow did it right. Don't know how. And then I went in and we did scene work with Richard Hester and got a bunch of direction. They filmed it and then I got called back and I did the scenes again and then I had to go and do a concert that night at 54 Below, so I couldn't make the dance call, which was kind of great because in reality, I'm a strong mover and I can fool people by looking like I'm a dancer, but like I'm a singer-actor. Put me on put me on zero, put me on that center stage line and let me sing you a song. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so after that, I had a four-hour callback and we did scene work and more scene work and more scene work. And then I sang more and then I took a break and then it was me and the Francine dance captain from tour who moved to Broadway. And I was like, ah, ah, you are definitely right for this part. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) And, And, um, I had a, it was an hour dance called just me and her. And I walked out and I called my mom and I was like, you know, I don't think this one's in the cards for me. And she was like, why? And I was like, that dancing is crazy. And I, five days later got the call on my mom's sister's birthday, her sister, Cecilia. And I got a call that I booked the job. Yes. Wild process. After years and years, like what? Years. I mean, it's, it's in your blood. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. So preparing for something, like I said earlier, it's something so personal. What kind of character work do you do for something like that versus just, you know, Alphabet or um, some other person, a real person? This is your grandmother. Right. For me, I, I found that I knew the girl who I replaced and she's a friend of mine and I adore her. She's wildly talented 
And But when I was watching the Broadway companies, I felt that sometimes Mary was played like a character part or like a villain. And what I loved about the girl I replaced is that she didn't do that at all. It was grounded and it was very real. And I said, you know, okay, great. So I'm allowed to play my life out. And to prepare for it was a little emotional because I grew up with my Nana. You know, I was there when she passed and it was a very difficult time in my life. But the beauty of it was I said, okay, I was looking at the script and I was like, how would my Nana actually say this? And her and I are very similar. So it was kind of easy. But to prepare, I also knew all my lines and knew all my music beforehand. But I just said to myself, just be you, be what you remember, and just allow yourself to make every choice possible because it's from what you know. You have the best experience out of anybody. I don't care who's been working on this show for so long. I know firsthand I will have the most wisdom on this part. And if they want something changed, that's fine. And so it was just a lot of not doubting myself because there is a formula when you replace somebody, there's definitely a formula of what's going to work and what's not going to work. And because, (laughs) because it was such a real experience, um, and I knew her so well, I definitely played her different, more differently than anybody else. And that's only a direct, I only say that because it's a direct quote from my bosses. Like, that's just the facts. So I'm not like boasting or anything. It's just, that's what they told me. I'm relaying information. Because <laughs> I'm a the workhorse, truth. the truth. Because I'm a workhorse and I'm always like, oh, that was terrible. I could do better. I could be better. And everyone's like, you need to relax. <laughs> what was it like having your family see you in, in that show? It was really cool. Like, it was, there was something so um, victorious about it. Because I was able to tell the story of my Nana who dealt with this heartbreak and who dealt with the the loss of her loved one on the road and not be a villain. And I felt like I got to give what my family, what my Nana wanted to say to them and tell that side in such a real way. And the hardest part, I think, was trying not to get choked up during any of the scenes and especially in my eyes adored you. Um, that was really the hardest part, but seeing them after and seeing them get up and dance, it was just like, Oh man, this one, this show and doing this is for my family. Like, forget me, forget the money, forget all of that. This is for my family. I love hearing you talk about that. Cause it just like, it's like very heartwarming to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We usually ask as a last question to our guests, what is the last great piece of theater that you saw? Um, The last piece of theater I saw was Jagged Little Pill. And it was like three weeks before the shutdown, I think. And I didn't know what I was getting into when I saw it. I was like, yeah, Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette. I love this stuff. Um, But it morphed how I view storytelling in such a real and honest way. There are so many social themes and like the biggest theme, I don't want to spoil anything because I think that's the magic of it too, is like not spoiling like the big, 
the big reveal, how they did that and how they just weaved these social issues into the script so flawlessly and conversationally that you go, yeah, of course. Well, that's obviously still a problem. I thought was brilliant. It was making a statement without the, um, what's the word? Like the, um, the grandness of it, or like, here we are making a statement. Like we know what we're we know what we have to talk about is heavy and it's going to be a statement and this is just the bluntness of it. And I really loved it. I mean, and my God, there wasn't a bad actor on that stage. It was so good. So for me, that was the the last piece of theater that I saw. And it's such an incredible piece of theater too, that I was just, I was really blown away by it. Mm. Well, I hope that, you know, when things resume that I can see that one. It is Yikes. honestly, it, I'm just going to say because it's going to be open, I'm going to put that out there. When it opens back up, you know, run to see it. I mean, there are some things I don't, I, I can't really talk about it on the podcast because it ruins it, but how they do virtually everything in that show, you go, oh my God, this is brilliant. This and is Mary amazing. loves Diane Paulus. Like just I loves do. her. Love her. She can do no wrong. I'm so she excited cannot. for 1776. Me, oh, me too. too. Like uh. I hated that show and now I'm going to be its biggest fan. Of course. <laughs> how... Can our listeners find you on social media if they want to follow you and your podcast? Well, well, um, you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Backup Plan Podcast. And if you want to tell us how wonderful and amazing it is, you can email us at backupplanpodcasts at gmail.com. And if you want to give me a follow on Instagram, it's Olivia F. Valley with an I. And, um, yeah, or just like stalk my stuff on YouTube because I got some killer bootlegs up from Wicked. <laughs> I oh haven't even God. done that. You know that's where I'm heading after this. Oh, I'm so pumped. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Oh. Well, I'm so Thank glad we you. were able to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to do this. Even if we're not in the same room. No, that's but okay. Can- <laughs> we'll all get drinks when we can hug and touch later. It's fine. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.